All right, so this, uh, I've, I've already been raked over the coals because my title was too long for this breakout session. So uh, I blame myself for that. So it's, it's my fault. But th- what, we're, what we're trying to do here together, and this is definitely a team effort. So please remember that if you're in the session with me, you will be participating. So, um, so get ready to, to, to answer, get ready to, to have a comment or two. But the idea here is to think about the, the reality that in the last 10 years especially, the winds in our culture, to take Alistair Begg's uh, metaphor, the winds of our culture have really turned against uh, the, the, tr- the church. Meaning that gravity, inertia, popular opinion, all of that is trending away from a biblical worldview rather than towards it or maybe even being ambivalent, you know, like whatever. So the winds are, are in our face, culturally speaking. And so there's, it's, it's just a lot more of an issue um, to be a Christian, to believe what the Bible says, puts us in an awkward spot with the culture. And so we're not in a situation where we're facing a full-blown persecution uh, in that sense. But as we often talk about here, you know, persecution happens on a scale. And so certainly at one end of the lighter end of the scale, though, we've seen a, an uptick in, in some of how that plays out. So we're going to talk about that together. I want to build off of what we've learned from Pastor Jordan with Ezra and Nehemiah. I just want to build off of that and use 1 Peter 2... A few verses out of First Peter chapter 2, really you'll want 11 down to 17 there, but we want to use that little paragraph as a lens or a grid to help us think about what does it mean to embrace risk, meaning being known as a Christian in a culture that's not into that, right? So uh, when we went through First Peter, we called it being Christian in a world that isn't, right? This, this world isn't majority Christian. Our world isn't majority Christian. And so we go, okay, how do we, how do we process that? Uh, does anybody want to share, though, before we get into the details here, does anybody want to share some of the ways you have seen the winds change in our culture? And what we don't want to do right now, we're not bashing culture or unbelieving, uh, you know, the unbelieving worldview or any of that, but just some of the signs or uh, some of the ways we've seen the shift in our culture, just to acknowledge that this is what's happened Right, this is what we're facing. Is anybody, uh, can anybody highlight a, a way that that's happened? Ruth, what have you seen? Yes. Time as a, the existence of the family, the priority of the family, time as a family, all of that has taken a backseat. In some ways, and if you read The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Carl Truman explains this, there is um, an explicit agenda on, on the left-wing side of the political spectrum to destabilize the family, that the family is part of the problem. The, the idea of the stability of families, all that, the government is who should be running lives, not family. You know, so there, there's a whole, uh, there's a, an intentionality in that. Uh, but yeah, so it's hard to be a family today. It's hard to be a family today, absolutely. What else have we seen? Okay, we'll do Caitlin and then Laura. Okay, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And so we're in a cultural situation where evil has been proclaimed good. Um, any, any specific evil? 
Everything that's going on. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, well, maybe the most obvious example of that would be the championing of the homosexual lifestyle, where it's like, it's not enough to be like, this is a free country, what you do you know, in your home is between you and God. Now it's, no, you have to applaud that. You have to be a fan of it. And so there's been a, you know, a distinct change in the wind on that particular issue. Laura? That's what I'm going to say. Oh, no, I don't do that. To, uh, yeah. I just had to decline a homosexual wedding. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're having to say no to weddings sometimes, or having the awkward situation of if it's you know if it's a family member, how do I, how do I navigate that? We've had to counsel many people through that. How do I navigate? Do I go to this wedding? Do I not go? How do I go? Like what? You know all that. Okay, somebody else. Okay, Sharon and then Rich. Gender confusion, <clears throat> pronoun drama. Yeah. Yep, it's there. Okay, Rich? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, church attendance with the COVID situation, church being optional, it's not essential to culture. Yeah, that was a big one. Ray? Yeah. So the, the fundamental assumption that God has given us um, an unalienable rights is now the whole premise is ridiculous because there is no God in the eyes of the culture. And so there's been a radical shift in that, in that assumption. And that's not to say that the founding fathers were followers of Jesus. Most of them weren't. In fact, basically all of them weren't. But the point was they lived in a framework where they had a, a, a fundamental assumption that God exists. Okay? Again, we're not, we're not here to complain about this. We're just acknowledging this is the lay of the land in which we live. It's not hypothetical. It's not just on TV. We talked about the wedding invitations. We talked about pronouns on the, the cake or the right gender on the cake. I mean, this is every day. Um, Sam had a kid on a soccer team that was uh, in potential gender transition. So it was like they had to deal with that as 10-year-olds on a soccer team. Like we had to figure out how do we, you know, how much do we talk about it? You know, you're going to say something else? I was just going to say also all the inclusion and diversity trainings. Yeah. Who's had to do inclusion training with your company or diversity training? Who survived it? You need a T-shirt that says, I survived (laughs) diversity training. Yeah. It's so okay. And again, this so this is the reality of the situation. Now, for some of us, though, maybe we grew up or we have we live in an unbelieving family. So every time we get together for Thanksgiving, it's still weird that I follow Jesus and there everybody's not following Jesus, right? Or maybe you've just been you've grown more accustomed to it in uh, in your friend group or your neighborhood that you live in or whatever it is, but. Whatever, whatever our personal experience is, as a culture, we're, we're, we've gone two more steps down the road, and, we were, and all signs are we're going to continue to go in that direction, which means we need to think about, okay, if I am known as a Christian, I'm risking something. So we're going to unpack it in First Peter 2, but just leading into that, just help me think this through. What are we risking if we are known today in this culture 
as a Christian? What is the potential cost to you to be known in your workplace, community, as a believer? Rejection. Okay. Kay says rejection. Say it again, Yuda. Being mocked, being made fun of. Okay, uh, Becky, and then... And then uh, humiliation. Say it again, humiliation. humiliation. Karen? Just being shut up. You're not Silenced. You're not with that Pipe down. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Michelle, back here. I'm risking my life. Could be risking your job. Yes. You could be risking your job. Many people. Mark? Uh, the culture you get canceled. Yeah, you were actually already canceled. I meant to tell you that. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the, with the silencing, right? With the silencing and the mocking. Okay, Skip. You're, you're considered prejudice. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. If you pay attention, we watch a lot of uh, period pieces, you know, BBC, PBS, you know, all that stuff. Uh, you know, if, it's, if they have a British accent, we basically watch it. So, um, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting in how they, how the directors uh, of these shows, when they're when they're telling the historical past, how they paint serious Christians, often clergy, uh, with with a very negative view, because these the, the the because the view today is these are the people that cause the problems. The people that were serious about God, the ones that, so you watch it, and the like it's not just the pastors, but the, it's a big part. The clergy or the people that are serious about their faith, they they're uh, they're the bad guys, more and more. And so now all of a sudden, it's like uh, you know you watch these things, and you're just trying to watch you know and, and kind of relax and unwind or whatever. And now all of a sudden, I feel attacked because I'm recognizing, wait a minute, according to the people with whom I live, I'm the bad guy. Because of because she, so anyway so that's where we are now let's read First Peter two just this paragraph and we're going to unpack uh, and just observe how Peter addresses the fact that we as believers are sojourners in a strange land okay right so um, dear friends verse eleven First Peter two I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Okay, so that's our chunk, right? And I just think it might be helpful today to take that and let that paragraph, again, be the lens through which we view how we should function and embrace risk uh, in the culture in which we live with regard to being known as a follower of Jesus. The first thing I want to highlight to you is just in verse 11, that those, ter- those terms, strangers and exiles, Peter applies those to the believer. And it's uh, resident alien, you know, like you're not from around here, right? So, and increasingly, I mean, I think especially 20 years ago, 30 years ago, um, but, you know, 
maybe in, in generations past, we could have said Christians could easily have felt at home, maybe in the United States or in a Western culture. But today, it's the, again, the, the circumstances have changed drastically. So it's very clear we're not at home right now. And, and you might think, well, it might depend on where you live. Certainly, there's, um, it might change a little bit based on the exact area that you live in and their attitude towards the church. But nonetheless, we are strangers and exiles. He assumes that. Notice also that the first thing he says in regards to functioning as strangers and exiles in verse 11, the first command, the first thing he urges us to is what? Abstain. Yeah, you're all reading your translation, right? To abstain from sinful desires. I would have thought you would lead with, hold the line on truth. Read Carl Truman's new book. (laughs) You know, like defend the gospel. Right? Like, like, hold that line. But he doesn't actually start with that. He says, here's the deal. You're in this foreign land. You're going to be tempted to let your lust drive the bus. That's going to be the temptation. Which I think he's saying to go with the flow. And it's not going to be a theological... This is the deal. I'm just telling you right now. It's not a theological conviction that's going to get you in trouble. It's something you want. It's your passion. And notice how he describes those sinful passions, by the way. What do they do against our soul? They wage war. He's like, you are in a war. You're not at war with the culture. You're at war with your own sin on a daily basis. You're at war with these desires in you. And so you just got to know that living in a culture that's sinful, it's going to inflame those desires. You're going to see other people justify pursuing those desires. So step one, okay, living, you know, embracing the risk that we have in this culture. Step one is... You be careful about what you're chasing, right? So that, that's like, it's interesting he talks about that moral purity there uh, right, at, right, out the, right out of the gate here in verse 11. And then in verse 12, as an outpouring or an outflowing of that perhaps, or maybe a second command, he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Gentiles here, you're supposed to read that as unbelievers, heathen, New Jerseyans, sorry, I, Californians, yeah, yeah. yeah. So conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now, here we go. This is very carefully, but note this. So that when they slander you as, evil, as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Language matters, people. He doesn't say if they slander you. He says when. As my friend Steve Barlow says, that's a guarantee, right? It's a guarantee what? That in a culture that's unbelieving, they will mock you. And they will mock you as an evildoer. What does that look like? It looks like exactly what we're starting to experience. If you're going to insist that God has a moral standard and God created gender and God calls us to this kind of relationship sexually amongst the human race uh, with a a husband and wife and a lifelong committed marriage, if you're going to say that's what it is, then you are evil and you are causing problems in our culture. That is hate speech. You're oppressing people with your negative view. You're talking about, you're calling them sinners. You're asserting the existence of hell and all of that. We will be called and labeled evildoers. So he doesn't say if, he says when. So just understand that's going to happen. By the way, when that happens to us, before we move on to it, right? But when that happens to us, what is often our temptation? What do we want to do when people call us evildoers? Many responses. So what, Michelle, what do you want to do? Defend yourself. Defend yourself. Absolutely. 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I got Isaiah, man. I'm going to get out the Isaiah bat. Let's go, to, let's go to town, okay? Yeah. Defend yourself. What else do you want to do? People call you evildoers. What? Deny. Meaning deny. Oh. Yeah. If they're calling people who believe those things evildoers, you know what? Just go under the radar. Just go under the radar. They don't need to know that I'm like a real Christian. Like, I can just, uh, I just had one of the biggest stomach growls I've ever had in my life. And that's because I know Chick-fil-A is coming. Like, I'm just, I know it's coming. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, the, I, I can go under the radar and I can, I can keep it under wraps that I'm a follower of Jesus. I think this is actually one of the biggest temptations we are facing and will continue to face. Just don't be loud about it. Right? Because if they knew that I was that, then they would, they would call me an evildoer just like they're doing with other people. So I really don't want to take that heat, especially at work, because it's risky because of this, or especially with those people in the neighborhood. Because I live next, I got to mow the lawn next to these people. Like, you know, there's, there's relational damage that could happen, right? And what else? Any other uh, knee-jerk responses when people call us evildoers, Glenn? Oh, yeah, so we want to defend, and maybe that's a righteous response on the one hand, right? We want to defend the Lord. Sometimes it comes out a little sideways. Yeah? Anything else? I'm missing a big one. Joellen? I want to justify. I want them to understand yeah. what it's doing in the culture. You want to explain? Maybe, and again, giving yourself the benefit of the doubt. I would like to explain to you why this is not evil. Right? What do you think? Yes, ma'am. Oh, just get them. Yeah. Listen, all's fair in love and war. Let's go. And they, they called me a name, so that opens the door. Right? There's one big one we haven't hit. I just... I don't like confrontation. So if I don't like confrontation and people in this culture are calling me an evildoer, what should I do? I'm out. I'm moving to Georgia. <laughs> I'm moving to Texas, baby. I'm moving to Tennessee. More people moved to Tennessee during the uh, COVID thing than anybody else, any other state. Tennessee was the biggest winner. So yeah, I'm going... That's my homeland. I was born in Tennessee. I'm going back. Like, we're going to go there. Uh, because it'll be easier. Right? And here, it's very interesting. Peter, he, he doesn't say, he never says, and we never get this anywhere in Scripture. You know what? Times are getting hard. Find an easier situation. Go find an easier situation. If you're looking for that verse, you're not going to find it. Now, certainly we should not be foolish and reckless and invite unnecessary suffering on, onto ourselves. Okay? So we just want to be, you know... Um, we want to have perspicuity. We want to think about all the different implications of how we respond. But, but none of the, none of the um, expressions of running to a safer place are going to be, I think, God-honoring. And so there's going to be a temptation for that. There, there is a temptation for that right now, right, to leave. So he's like, don't leave. When that happens, and it will happen, you should conduct yourselves honorably. Now, what does that mean, conduct yourself honorably? How do you do that? What do you think, Mark? Okay, obey the Lord. Let's, get, let's flesh that out a little bit. How do you do that at work? How do you conduct yourself honorably in your workplace? Do your job. Do your job. Skip's retired, but he's still feeling it. He's like, yeah, I was there. Yeah. Do, do your job. Like, be faithful in that, Michelle. Return curses with blessing. Return curses with to conduct yourself honorably may mean when you take a shot on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. Yeah. What else? How do we conduct ourselves honorably? How about in our families? 
How do we do that? Be patient. I mean, that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, Karen? Put yourself second. Or third, yeah, or, yeah, just down the chain, right? Ruth? Yeah. Yeah, so now following Jesus as our model of loving, sacrificial service, not self-centeredness. Jesus did not revile in return. And that's, that's remarkable. And, he, that there's, and Peter actually takes that as an example for us in chapter 3. Like, you need to run with that. Because if that's, he's modeling for us. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He, he gave it to the Lord. Uh, in that sense, he gave it to God the Father. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just serve and love and sacrifice. That's, that's remarkable. When we live like this, this is crazy living, by the way. Okay, this is crazy town. We're talking about doing this. But this is what God calls us to. And then what's the result in verse 12? So that we do that, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Meaning, they will change their attitude toward God. And on the day of Christ's return, they will actually be found to be believers instead of unbelievers. So we're talking about conversion here. It's kind of a roundabout way of saying they will become followers of Jesus. They will glorify God. They'll be like, whoa. And what's going to happen is there's going to be slander in the media against believers. There's going to be slander in the community. There's going to be slander in your workplace. But somebody in your workplace is going to see you behave differently. And they're going to go, I know everybody says that these Christians are the problem, but man... They're the only one in the office I can really depend on. They're the only one that actually has integrity. And I mean, I, I know there's a lot of things that everybody, but man, it just, and maybe, maybe that's the person that reaches out to you in their time of struggle. They will see your transformed life, and they'll go, I know what everybody says about these crazy Bible thumpers, but man, they're, they're the real deal. And now all of a sudden, they're attracted to God not because of an argument, but because of a changed life. Can I just encourage you? It's important to have conversations when God sovereignly arranges for them. But the number one thing that's going to make the difference in someone who doesn't love Jesus, right, turning to the Lord, it's going to be the message coupled with a transformed life. When the message is divorced from a transformed life, it often it just isn't as effective. And I mean, almost always. But so what happens, God has chosen to use us as messengers, not just so we, and definitely not to argue with people, because you're not going to argue them into the kingdom, but he's called us to live transformed lives among them. And so that they'll go, wow, there is something very different about you. I was talking to a believer uh, in our church recently, and uh, the situation was coming up, and there was some, some kind of heat about being a Christian, but he had never, he had never had this conversation with his boss about him being a Christian. And his boss comes to him, and he says, this is a true story. It, it just happened recently. And his boss said, well, I knew you were a Christian. And he was like, how? And it's like, well, you're so different from everybody else. And he meant that in like a positive way that like, you know, and it was, uh, it's a field in which dirty jokes are very common and the language is really bad and there's all kinds of, you know, it's just a lot of sin. And he just stands out. Like, he doesn't laugh at those jokes. He's not... His every other word is not, you know, uh, a swear word. Like, it's just, there was just a difference in him. And so what was so powerful there is, like, he didn't, wasn't trying to, like, win over his boss or something. He was just 
doing his job, like being faithful. But man, God says, let me just tell you, they'll revile you. It'll happen. But, but conduct yourselves honorably among them. Don't lose your patience. Don't lose your temper. Don't resort to eye for an eye. You, you have been called to be different, right? And so it's interesting when he says that. Now, a part of that conducting yourself honorably is submitting to every human authority, whether we're talking about the government, whether you voted for them or not, right? Which has been really challenging. We've had to navigate, okay, at what point am I actually sinning and obeying the government? Do I have to, you know, so that's been a challenge. But nonetheless, we honor the emperor, right? We honor the, the, the governor. We honor the president. No matter what, listen, and I'm just going to, a couple things here. Um, <laughs> our, uh, it, <laughs> your so, what you do on social media matters, okay? And I'm just telling you, there are a lot of people who love Jesus whose social media feed says we're ignoring this verse. And, and I don't, whether you're saying, let's go Brandon, okay? Whether you're posting stuff like that, and when you're getting all, oh, everybody, it's, it's very clear what's going on. And I got to tell you, if you believe that this is the word of God, that is sin. It is sinful to do that. It's sinful to promote that. And we've just got to hold the line. And I am not a fan of the policies of this government that, that the people of the United States have elected. I'm not, I'm not into that. But that doesn't justify treating them the way many Christians are treating them. It's wrong. It's sinful. And we need to say it. And we need to call it out. Anyway, and, and our, our children are learning from us, just also, by the way, right? They're getting that. So, um, so we submit to the government. I think I would also include, it, include in that generically, we also submit to our employer, like our bosses. You know, like, we're good employees. We're good citizens. Like, unless we absolutely have to choose to disobey because it would be sin, we're going to be model citizens and model employees, right? But then notice in verse 15 what happens when we live this way. So when we do that, verse 15, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. There are several assumptions that Peter makes there that are not, uh, they're not, it's not a license for insulting the world, but just notice what he assumes about the unbelieving culture. The unbelieving culture is ignorant. They don't know their right from their left. Of course they're going to call it evil. They don't, they, don't, they don't know the Lord. The fear of God is not driving their interpretation of life and their decision making and what's right and what's wrong. So he says they're, they're ignorant to this and they're foolish. And he's not saying this in a pejorative way to insult them. He's saying it as a way of just acknowledging they don't have the wisdom that we have received. They're not there yet. And so maybe what God will do is by your transformed life, he will actually cause them to go, you know what? Maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe there's something, I, I, maybe I don't have all the, the information here. And I've been told this, right? That these people are doing evil. These people are crazy. That they're what's wrong with the world. But maybe by interacting with you and by seeing someone who conducts themselves honorably among the Gentiles and someone who respects authority and all of that, maybe they would go, you know what, hold on. Maybe there's something to that. And maybe, by God's will, it will silence the ignorance of foolish people by our doing good. So again, what we're not going to do here is say, oh, see, Peter calls them foolish. We can call them names. That's not what he's doing. 
He's just saying that's the reality. The reality is they are ignorant and it is foolish. But we have an opportunity here to impact this culture. There's no promise here that uh, we will turn the tide. Right? Like if you do this, you'll win over everybody. Or you'll win the majority over. And we'll get our nation back for the Lord. You've heard that one, right? We need to take this nation back. Uh, I mean, as a byproduct of the advancement of the gospel, sure. But that is not the mission of the church, to take the nation back. The mission of the church is to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that, what? People can come to faith in Jesus. And lives can be transformed and God's kingdom can advance, regardless of what happens with the political reality of our, of our country. So there's no promise of any of that. And he just, in the last two verses, he just gives some, like, last commands. Like, Submit as free people, so not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. So here he's saying, submit to the authorities, but don't do it as a way to cover up your own sinful desires. Basically like, I'll play along so I can get away with what I want to get away with. Basically he's calling out your motives, but rather do it as God's slaves. That terminology can be offensive to us, but you need to know there's a reason why he chooses that wording. It's because he wants us to think about the fact that we do serve someone and it's not the president. We serve God. And that matters more than whatever the lesser authority we're dealing with at that moment happens to be. And then in 17, the, the, the takeaways, you know, honor everyone with obvious exceptions. <laughs> Sometimes we live like that though, don't we? Honor everyone except for, you know, no, honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Love the church. Love the church. Church is hard sometimes. We, you know, people, we have relational struggles. We have to ask for forgiveness. But he says, love the church. That's your family. <laughs> love the church. Fear God. Right? That, that's your foundation, right? Your, your starting point. And then honor the emperor. Why does he have to say it so many times? Because the emperor was a loser. When Peter wrote this, Nero was emperor of Rome. Nero was Nero. You know Nero. Like, yeah. Nero who burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians, Nero. And while his persecution of the church was not systematic, it was, it was different in severity from place to place and time to time, the fact is he was, ended up being known as a crazy man. And he's saying, honor that guy. Now, we don't know if that was after or before he went crazy, but it doesn't really change the point. If, if Peter could say, honor Nero, then we can obviously adopt a different attitude towards a government that is, promotes evil, that is contrary, that's acting contrary to what we believe God calls us to, but to the degree that they allow us to live and worship, we can honor God and honor the emperor. Right? Those two things go together. Fear God and honor the emperor. Okay, so that's, that's the breakdown. Right? Notice he, he really calls us to some practical steps. I think it's, it, it's important at this point that we personalize it and go, okay, what's really, what is it really going to cost me? And how can I be careful? Uh, how can I be wise and careful in living out my faith? I think there are ways that we can live out our faith that it's not productive and it's not conducting ourselves honorably. So let's brainstorm that for a second, and then we'll talk about how we can do it. So what are some ways that you've, maybe you've learned by experience? This is not a helpful way for me to be a Christian in an unbelieving culture. This is a bad idea. It's not helping, right? It's hurting. So does anybody have any ideas on what something like that might be? It, it's, it's, it's very common. Caitlin? Your anger towards the 
Okay, so letting your anger, and it could be even maybe a, a righteous anger perhaps, but letting that anger drive your behavior and let that justify responding in harsh ways to people around us. And it, it's unfortunate that um, we'll lose an opportunity to influence someone for the sake of the gospel because we're just letting against the world, you know, again, the, the world, yeah, that's right, kind of, but we don't, that, that can't be driving our behavior, right? It's like we're throwing a fit, like we're Christian toddlers, you know? And like, the world's not, maybe, and then we're just going to throw a fit. It's like, you ever see a toddler, you know, on the ground in Target throwing a fit, and you just wish, I wish that was my child right now? <laughs> Nobody wants that child. Nobody wants to be in that. Don't be that Christian. Don't be that Christian who's whining and complaining and throwing a fit on the floor in, ta- in Target. And you think that's winsome? You think that's conducting yourself honorably? Don't be that Christian. Okay, that was a good one. What, what are other ways we can fail in this or not do it? Betty, what do you think? Yeah, point the finger, right? Um, there's a time and a place for confrontation of sin. But in general, in general, often when we do that... Uh, especially to people who are not followers of Jesus, it can really easily become just an attack. It's not motivated by love. It's not conducting ourselves honorably. We're just on the warpath. Yeah. Other ways. What do you think, Joellen? Yeah, so you have to be careful with how you use Scripture. Sometimes Scripture, we can use Scripture wisely, but then sometimes we can use Scripture unwisely, where it becomes almost a political slogan or a catch line, or a way to try to win an argument, and it's not like a genuinely, you know, and again, that's a tone, that's a feel, like you have to be aware of how you're coming across and what you're quoting, you know. Like if, if, you, if someone in your family is pursuing, you know, a, a sinful lifestyle, and you like get them a plaque, and it's woe to those who call evil good and good evil, like here, I got this for you, put this up in your kitchen, like that's not, and I'm using that as an ex- extreme example, but sometimes that's what we, you know, sometimes we treat people like that. I'll, I'll, I'll fire a verse at them. That'll solve them. And we do want the word of God to be in play, but there's, there's a way to do that. Any other thoughts on how we can do this unhelpfully, Ruth? Yeah, uh, you're looking for, instead of a word wisely spoken, we're just pick, pick, looking for a fight, right? Just spoiling for a fight. And sometimes that's it. And unfortunately, historically, we've always had a branch of, of Christianity that has been spoiling for a fight. And they're not following Jesus unless they're fighting somebody, you know. And we have enough going on. But I just, again, notice who the war is with here in this passage. The war is with your own simple desires. This, that's the battleground. Those around us aren't the enemy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it is tempting to want to move to Iowa with Andy and Lori and build a compound and just, like, isolate, except for that it's Iowa. But other than that, I mean, there's, it's, there's a tempting deal. But you, you could. You could just be like, I, wanna, I just want to run away from it. But obviously, that's not what God calls us to. So Christians who have their head in the sand, not, not very helpful. And certainly not helpful to be hiding your faith from others, right? Okay, so that, that's enough, you know, I mean... I think it's fair to say we don't want to be yelling at people. We don't want to be attacking people. We want to be conducting ourselves honorably and showing people this is what a transformed life looks like. So thinking about that, there's a fear factor. Okay, if go with 
Jordan helped us with the definition of risk. There's a fear factor of we might lose what we said earlier. We might lose respect. We might lose our job. We might get made fun of or uh, be shamed or be canceled or all those things. Okay, so if that, there's fear there, a genuine recognition, this could cost me. So then how do we motivate ourselves or how do we together help each other to live out this paragraph, which is a remarkable paragraph. I mean, this is hard stuff. We are being called evildoers, so how do we then conquer that fear with faith and embrace the risk, whatever it, it might end up being? So how do we do that? How do we process it? Let's talk about it. How would you counsel yourself or counsel someone else? Hey, this is going on in my family. This is going on at work. This is going on at school. What do I do? How do you do it? What do you think? Laura, what's your thought? Okay. Laura said we do stand on the promises of God, like Jordan was reminding us. So we, have, we do have that confidence in the word of God, in the character of God, to motivate us to say it's okay to, pursue, to live like this, like God's got this, right? Not promises of always success or prosperity or whatever, but God's faithful, his goodness, his good hand is, is still at work. Absolutely. What else? Okay, Joellen and then Ruth and Flossie. Right. It's interesting when John describes Jesus revealing the character of God, he says he was full of grace and truth. And it's so interesting. Jesus, in his interactions with people, it's, there's always grace there, but he never avoids the truth. And Joellen's right. There's a, way, there's a way to speak the truth in love, isn't there, Ephesians 5? There's a way to uh, communicate the truth with a, a genuine concern for someone not a selfish agenda, I'm going on the attack, I'm defending my camp, you know, I want to win this argument, right? Huge difference. Okay, Ruth, what were you going to say? Yeah. Okay, what a great point. Uh, We live in this world, but we got to have our family meetings. So we have family meetings on Sunday at 1010. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we get together, we sing reminders of God's character and his goodness. We pray together. We look at God's word together. We encourage each other. We do it more than just Sunday morning, obviously, but that's why we have to be committed to this family. Because if you're going to survive in this world where we're called evildoers, you're going to need the support of the family, right? So you, you, you can't unplug from Bible study, care group, church. You can't unplug from all that stuff and then expect to thrive out there when you're in the desert, you know, when you're out there at war uh, with your own passions and then, you know, having the culture oppose you, it's like, we need, you need that time. You need a time that you can come in and you go, I can just relax because I'm with my people today. <laughs> and we can just, I, I can, we can sing these songs. There's not a swear word in these songs. Like, I'm okay. We, we can sing them, you know. We put, so we put on the radio in the car with the kids sometimes. There still is a radio. There is radio. It still exists. But, but, or Apple has this thing where it'll take songs you've picked and it plays other songs that are similar. But I'm telling you, you just, I mean, we just can't, you just can't do it. It's just, there's so much that comes on. I'm like, I didn't remember that was in that song. You know, like, but when we're with my people, we're okay. And on Apple, you can get the GPBC worship playlist and you're good. Like, you're good. So it's there. Okay, that's a great reminder, Ruth. Thank you. Uh, Flossie, you were going to say something. Right, just what we, just what Jordan talked about this morning. Pray. 
It's, listen, you're, gonna, you're going to college, you're going to school, you're going to work, you got the family gathering coming up, whatever. Pray ahead of time. Prepare yourself spiritually. Ask God to prepare you for what you're going to face. I mean, sometimes that's the commute. I think sometimes Christians, we've gotten really good at using a commute and salvaging that for God's glory. You know, praying on the road, listening to worship songs, listening to a sermon, like getting spiritually prepared. That I'm going in here to the tough situation, and I just I need to prayerfully put that before the Lord. I would encourage you, maybe as like a an annual or, or biannual thing with if, with your family, your spouse, maybe just say, "Hey, what are the things that we're facing in life right now?" So we've got our we've got our first teenager. I'm just making sure he's not in here, and uh, we got three more coming right on the heels. You know. And it's like we're heading into turbulence. And so it's like, but Lindsay and I, I mean, full disclosure, like, it's like we need to, like, we need to pray <laughs> in preparation for, we don't even know what's coming, but we know something's coming. So we need to pray. Like, we need to prepare. So what I, just a great reminder from Jordan there, to pray about your circumstance. You'll be better off, even in the midst of a really hard thing that happens at school or at work or whatever, you'll be better off having prayed ahead of time, being more grounded and being ready to trust God. What else? How do we do this? How do we help, help ourselves do this? Look at so many hands. Okay, we'll do Pam, and then Skip, and then Sharon. I was thinking just staying God's word or wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, so God's word, even, it's so great, right? Because the gift of his word, right, is meant to produce stability for us in the midst of all the turbulence. So when we start wandering from this, we don't prioritize it. I mean, even good Christian books are only so helpful. Like, they're only helpful to the degree that they really unpack what's going on in, in the Word. So you just, if you're, if you're lacking that stability, or perspective even, like, this is going to help you. And your social media feed gets a little ugly, filter it through First Peter 2. You know, like, that, like those kinds of things. Like, it's, it's going to help you. It's going to help you clarify. I mean... So often in the word, there is a specific chunk of God's word that addresses the kind of circumstance that you're facing. It's not by accident. God knows what he's doing. Okay, that was Pam. Skip. Yes. Look at your circumstance as a mission field. We are all on the mission. Not just the deacons and elders and pastoral staff. Like, we're all on the mission, right? So it is a mission field. Uh, Sharon, and then we'll go here and then here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In, in Job, Job and his friends, uh, like, I'm getting, trying to count, 36 chapters of why, why, why. This has got to be why. This has got to be why. This has got to be why. And at the end of Job, when God finally speaks, he does not answer why. He shows him who. Isn't that interesting? You don't need to know why, God says. You just need to know who I am. Where were you when I created everything? Yeah, you weren't there. I was there. 
I'm trustworthy. I'm powerful. I'm good. That's what you need to know. Uh, Karen, and then over here. Yep. Yeah. So not um, a great reminder here from Karen. Don't compartmentalize your Christianity to a day of the week. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's that's, a, you know, a fundamental step is that we understand we're going to be called to con- like this applies to basically every circumstance except for when you're with the church. This chapter, I mean, this paragraph, I mean, except for the love of the brothers and sisters. But other than that, the rest of this, you're doing this out in the world. That that's that's when you're doing it. Right. So. Uh, we gather for encouragement, we scatter to, to have this impact on the world around us. And recognizing that's a function every day of our faith in Jesus. It's not like, I've got to put my Christian hat on at Sunday morning. Yeah, okay, yes, man. Remind me, sir, what your name is? Cal. Cal, okay, hit me. Yeah. Uh, because then I think, you know, people would see me at all. Oh, this guy's a follower. Yes. And, you know, that's just something I just decided for myself. Is, you know what? I saw politics be so divisive. Yeah. It's not worth to me. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to post anything about where Even though I have friends that they do post this, they post yeah. this. You know what? I'm not going to post anything. So that's a great point. And maybe that's a good, that's a good thought to consider because here's the reality. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be controversial, right? It's just going to be a part. It's, it's, you can't avoid it. Right? We cannot avoid it. So I would rather be controversial for loving Jesus than be controversial because of my stance on vaccines or my stance on masks or my stance on Trump or my stance on, you know what I'm saying? Like, and sometimes you can't avoid it and it's just a part of it. But like, you know, I would rather, if I'm going to stir up a conversation, I would rather it be for this reason of, wow. This is a function of my faith in Jesus, not I've taken this political position. It doesn't mean we don't take political positions based on conviction, but what's a great thought? Maybe I just need to think about, hold on, does this need to be the number one thing people think of me? That person is a Republican. I don't know if they're a Christian, but I know they're a Republican. And I think that might be an issue, right? Something to think through. Okay, who else? I saw another hand up. Who was it? Be brave. Oh, we just killed it there. Okay, that's very good. Uh, think through, think through specific ways you may have to risk in living out your Christian faith. Uh, Michelle mentioned, you know, potentially losing a job of, over your faith, which it, it is a challenge. Uh, we have um, someone else in the church family who is a librarian for the public school system. And then as purchasing books for the library, there's a certain amount of LGBTQ plus books that she has to buy. And she always is feeling like really um, distraught about that. However, in her job, she also does have some freedom where she only has to buy the bare minimum of those books. And so she feels it as an opportunity for ministry and not breaking the rules and doing her job faithfully, but at the same time, being a, a positive influence, you know. I'm not sure if she, like, tapes over the covers and hides them or something. No, I'm just teasing. But, you know, it's like, she ha- she, it's a legitimate moral quandary for her as a believer. But she's saying, okay, here I am. And 
she may lose her job when they find out she only bought the bare minimum. Maybe. It's very possible. But at the same time, she felt like I was faithful to do my job, and I was also faithful, though, to try to be a positive influence for Jesus on this public school library. And so when you can articulate, I know what my risk is, and then I know I've prayerfully considered how do I honor God in this circumstance, and then now I'm equipped to make those decisions. Not rash, you know, I think sometimes when we think about risk, we think about doing crazy stuff. It's like, no, we're not doing crazy stuff. We're just asking how do I really honor God knowing there may, be some, there may be some pushback. Same thing with your family. You know, with unbelieving family, you remember that uh, in, in the way we approach that is we have a, a long-standing, a long-term witness. Like if I get on a plane with somebody and I'm having a conversation, I'm never going to see that person again. I have that conversation differently than a family member that I'm going to see consistently, regularly for the rest of my life, the rest of their life, because we're building on that, Right. And so I might risk in a different way in a conversation one-off with somebody on a plane than I would with a family member. It's a, di- it's a different kind of conversation. And so you go, okay, I, I'm, I'm prayerfully considering what is it that I'm going into here and how can I honor God and, and what is acceptable risk. Sometimes, it, if again, if we don't do it with wisdom, we can unintentionally cause more risk than we need. There's plenty of risk here already, Amen. Like, it's, we have enough. We don't need to be doing dumb things to make it worse. And so, again, uh, when Skip said, do your job, I feel like there is sometimes a, a deal where it's like, I, I feel like people, Christians, might take time at work to do things that, read the Bible or do other things that they shouldn't be doing in that particular slot of time. Maybe you have a break and you can do that. That's great. But it may be that, you know what, it's just, I really need to focus on doing a good job here. And my Bible study time is for later. It's not, for, like, I need to do, I need to be faithful. And just to be wise in that and to not, you know, to not make foolish decisions and unnecessarily, you know, cause problems for ourselves. Because, again, we're, we're gonna, there's plenty of risk there already built into the situation. Um, we also should recognize that everybody's in a different spot, right? And so you're facing a different circumstance than somebody else is. And whether it's, uh, whether it's with, uh, you know, the relational family stuff, the situation at school, the stuff at work... It just depends on who you work with, who your teachers are. It depends on who your family is. And so that's another reason why we as a church need to be supporting each other. Because some of us are facing more risk than others at at a particular given spot, right? And that's just how it goes. And so we as a church should be encouraging and supporting one another in that. Um, And, you know, we've we've had people lose their job because of their faith in our church. That's happened. And we've seen God provide for those people. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not going away. It's going to continue to be an issue, right? Yeah, Ruth. Well, it's a great reminder. And it's, Ruth, thank you for sharing that because here's, here's a great point in that. We're not the first ones. First Peter 2 is 2,000 years old. We are not the first Christians to live in circumstances that are challenging culturally, right? In fact, we could very easily argue 
that the vast majority of Christians since the birth of the church have faced difficult circumstances culturally. It's been unusual, the fact that we've had such a, a, a smooth ride, you might say. And so, and that's okay, and take it for what it was. It's a blessing, and God allowed us to build strong churches and to leverage our finances to advance the gospel. And so now the winds have changed, and we're going to keep doing the same thing we've been doing. And not to complain and not to be bitter, but to go, okay, Lord, this is the new circumstance, and our mission hasn't changed. And so we're going to conduct ourselves with honor. Joellen? They do. I think that we've had it so easy that we've taken things for granted. And I yeah. always say this is where the rubber meets the road. We've been trained in the Word of God, and now we're really being tested. Yeah. And, um, and I love somebody quoted said, let your test be your testimony, you know, by relying on the Lord in whatever situation you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like James says, consider it tolerable when you face trials of many. I oh, know that's not what he says, is it? Because Joellen just said that God's using these trials to strengthen our faith. That is a fact. I mean, James 1, 2 to 5, that is a fact. And that's why James says, consider it joy when you face these different kinds of trials. Whatever kind God sends you, you can consider that joy because he is using that to strengthen your faith. And at the, on the back side of that trial, you have trial-certified faith in Jesus. Like, it's legit. It was tested, found to be the real deal. So, Flossie, last comment. Yep. Yeah. It, it's, a whole, it's not angst. It's not, what's going on in the world? The sky is falling. It's like, nope, we're good. We're good. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I mean, come today. But if he doesn't come today, we're okay. We're okay. Listen, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and just ask God to help us. Th- listen, th- these are hard, hard decisions, hard times, right? So we don't want to forget that we need God's um, daily provision for us to, to fulfill these scriptures. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we again pause uh, this morning and we ask for your help. We, I confess, Lord, we, we just don't know all the different circumstances we are facing. Everybody's in this, facing in this room, but... We recognize that the winds have changed in our culture and that you call us to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles. You call us to abstain from those sinful desires that are waging war against our souls. And when we do that, Lord, you will use our transformed lives as a means of drawing people to yourself. Lord, we confess we don't get credit for that. And we confess many days we fail. But you are faithful. You are good. You are sovereign, even over changing cultural circumstances. So help us not to be bitter. Help us not to complain. Help us not to be angry. 
Lord, help us to to trust you by faith. And as we see the risk that we are called to take, or we may have to give up something that we love, it may cost us something, Lord, may we move forward, not in reckless abandon, but because we know what you have called us to. And because we trust you. So help us, Lord, to rely on you in that. And we pray that you would help us to fear you, to honor everyone, to love the brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to honor the emperor. And in this transformed life, we pray that you would be glorified and your kingdom work would advance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.